everyone. Good morning, everyone. Yeah. 
into 44. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after, after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. Down to verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odour, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of those people standing around me, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Father, thank you for this amazing Account. Thank you for this incredible picture of the glory of God. Thank you for this amazing 
story here where we see Jesus Christ as the Lord of life. Simply breathtaking. Please let this true account rest upon our hearts now. And may, Lord, you use this account to build amazing faith in Jesus Christ, amazing worship for Jesus Christ, amazing service, sacrifice and risk for Jesus Christ as the Lord of life. Holy Spirit, come help us now, we pray. And we ask that in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. There's um, a great story there, a true story here of... uh, Jesus uh, healing Lazarus, raising Lazarus from the grave. It's the gospel account here that John's writing for us, and he's now moving to the final uh, days, actually, of Jesus' life. He's uh, moving now towards the cross on Calvary's hill. That's coming up very, very quickly here in John's gospel. And uh, what Jesus does here, actually, is probably give a precursor or a sort of a demonstration of the very same resurrection that Jesus himself will undergo not too long after this uh, account here with Lazarus with Mary and Martha in Bethany. Uh, the only difference, though, with Jesus' resurrection, uh, his will be a, um, a resurrection of a never-to-die-again, where Lazarus, we would call that a resuscitation, if you want to give it a technical term. Uh, he was brought back to life, but Lazarus would have gone on to die, who knows, maybe months, years later. Uh, it's a demonstration of what's going to come, but Jesus will be the ultimate resurrection to never die again. And it's funny, it's, it's these sorts of claims about the resurrection that makes Christianity um, look ridiculous in the eyes of this world. Many, many people will uh, get to the resurrection and uh, it's like it becomes a deal breaker. Like, I can take everything else about Christianity, but hang on, you're telling me some dead guy rose out of a grave 2,000 years ago and he's the Lord? You know, that becomes the deal breaker. People can't wrap their minds around that. Uh, they just reject the idea out completely. Uh, Paul was at Mars Hill in the book of Acts uh, in Athens and uh, he had all these people here that gathered together to uh, hear him and uh, listening attentively as Paul was um, relaying the gospel and talking about who this Jesus Christ was and uh, here they are all just taking it all in and as soon as Paul mentions the resurrection, uh, they all switch off or a large number of them switch off and walk out and say, oh Paul, you're mad, this is crazy stuff. Yeah, this resurrection, that just doesn't happen. Unfortunately, that's what people do sometimes when they hear about this resurrection. But it's a great truth here that we understand about Jesus. So let's, let's step through this narrative today and let's have a look here and pick up the truths that we can apply to our hearts as we see Jesus bringing Lazarus back from the grave and displaying himself there as the Lord of life. As we look at this narrative, there's a few things we can pick up. What we have here is some people who know Jesus really, really well. We have obviously Mary and Martha who are well acquainted with Jesus. We would probably have previously seen Mary and Martha in that other um, account, I think it's in Luke, where uh, Mary and Martha have Jesus coming and Martha goes around like a busybody, flat out trying to prepare a great meal to look after all these people coming and Mary sits at the feet of Jesus and uh, listens to him as, uh, as the great teacher. So he would have come across that and Martha wasn't real happy that day. She thought Mary's been a bit slack, why don't you help out? So here's an ongoing story here with Mary and Martha where Jesus is well acquainted with them. Uh, also they have a brother here, we see, Lazarus, who's sort of them. He's the secondary figure of the story, even though he's a dead guy in the middle of this. Jesus is obviously the, the primary figure. And uh, they all know Jesus quite well. In verse 5, it says there, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. There's a picture there that Jesus is um, uh, well acquainted with them here, friends with them. 
loved them. It's really interesting to note here that when Jesus walked upon this earth, he walked upon this earth connected to other people in real friendships. Jesus wasn't alone just sort of floating in and out of society and going out to be a hermit in the hills for a while and then come back and do some miracles and then float back in again. Jesus was connected to people in real relationships as he walked upon this earth, which really gives us a great picture here of the community that God has called us to be in, particularly the church community. We are meant to do life together as a community of believers. And Jesus here even gives us a small demonstration of that because he was in community with these people, particularly uh, Martha, Mary and Lazarus. But Lazarus is quite sick, very sick. He's so sick that he's on his deathbed. The two sisters love their brother. They love their brother. They just think the world of their brother. So they send this message to Jesus. Jesus, the one whom you love is ill. Jesus, the one whom you love is ill, the one that you care for, the one that you are friends with. And that, Lord, whatever's wrong with him, he's seriously ill. He's not getting worse. He's actually, sorry, he's not getting better. He's getting worse. He needs help ASAP. It's a simple message here as we see it put out to us in the Bible. They're not asking Jesus to come like right away, like simply can you drop everything and come. They're just saying that the one whom you love, Lazarus, isn't very well, your friend. And they're trusting that Jesus will respond appropriately in this. Jesus sends back this confident, faithful reply to this message that has been sent to them. And he says there in verse 4, But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So we can see there that Jesus already knows there's something quite ill with or serious about Lazarus. He said, this illness will not lead to death. He understands, hang on, this guy is really, really sick. But at the same time, Jesus is saying here, have no fear. Have no fear. With Lazarus, he will not die. Don't be overwhelmed by what you can see in the circumstances that are confronting you here and now in this sickness. He will not die. In fact, what you will see through this sickness, Jesus sends back with his message, you will see the glory of God working out and demonstrated through this event. Now, it seems a little remarkable here when you read this, but in verse 6, as we go through, we see Jesus decides to stay a little longer where he is before coming to see Lazarus. Now, we're not meant to read that as though Jesus doesn't care about Mary or Martha or Lazarus, and it can quite easily seem like that, can't it? We think, well, hang on, why didn't Jesus sort of just drop everything and get an express donkey straight to Bethany to sort of, you know, fix up Lazarus? He didn't do that. He just said, no, I'm just going to stay back another couple of days. Now, don't get the wrong idea about Jesus here. He knows exactly what he's doing. He has a plan in mind. He has something here that he's going to do to demonstrate God's glory and do something to build the faith of these people who are gathered around in this village of Bethany at this time. So let's not get Jesus on the wrong side here in that way. Two days pass and Jesus now tells his disciples that it's time to go to Judea and to wake up Lazarus. You ever seen that song, Wake Up Jeff on the Wiggles? Some of you have, probably revealing some of your age. Like, I'll just come to my mind and sorry, a bit of a left field thought. What was that? <laughs> Not going to be Wake Up Jeff, it's going to be Wake Up Lazarus. He, he said, let's go to wake him up. He'll, and uh, the disciples come back and say, Jesus, if he's fallen asleep, what are we even bothered about going there for? It's, he's just going to wake up and it's all be good. And Jesus lets them in on the reality of what's really happened. He says there in verses 14 and 15, Then Jesus told them plainly, 
Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But now let us go to him. Alas, disciples, Lazarus has died. And for your benefit, I'm glad I wasn't there when he was very sick. Because you're going to see something now that will actually uh, blow your minds about who I am as the Lord of life. Your faith in who I am as uh, your master, as your saviour, as your God, will uh, be demonstrated remarkably now in that way. So Jesus comes to Bethany where Mary and Martha and Lazarus all live. And what he discovers now that Lazarus has died four days ago. Four days ago. If we were to just stop and think about what was happening in there and put that into the calendar of events of what's taken place, Lazarus has actually died on the day the messenger was sent. Quite probably, the messenger could have been sent and Lazarus has died one or two hours later. Because where Jesus was at the time was a day's journey away from where Lazarus was. So there's that. There's two days where Jesus waited. Now he travels back another day to get to where he is. So it's like four days have taken place. He, by all accounts, this Lazarus has died literally after the messengers left because the messenger wouldn't say, hey, come and see him. He's going to die if he already died. So this is what's taking place. But let's not forget, though, that the messenger has returned already back to Mary and Martha to tell them that Lazarus will not die. So probably going to be pretty confusing for Martha and Mary because they know he's dead because he died a few hours after the messenger left. Now the messenger comes back with Jesus' message to say, hey, he's not going to die. It's going to lead to the glory of God. Often the way Jesus works in our lives, or often the way God works in our lives can be very confusing. It really can. I'd imagine that Mary and Martha were confused. They've sent the messenger. Jesus didn't come. The messenger's come back and he said he's not going to die. But Mary and Martha say, well, he just died three days ago. Life can be very confusing sometimes. We don't understand and operate the way God operates or what the plans he has in mind when he goes through life and orders those things for us. His plan ultimately will be for our good and for his glory. And in this sense, that's exactly how it will work out for Lazarus. For Lazarus's good and for God's glory. Martha goes out to meet Jesus. And what we see here is a glimmer of faith from her as she meets Jesus. Verses 21 22, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. There's a sense there where she still, now there's something that Jesus, you can do here. I'm, I'm sure of it. Jesus responds in verse 23. He says, your brother will rise again. But Martha doesn't quite understand what Jesus is saying here because in verse 24, she's thinking more, ah, yeah, yeah, this is the resurrection of the dead right at the very end of life on the last day. That resurrection at the end, at the, at the end times. There's faith here with Martha, but it's not completely clear yet. She hasn't quite got the picture of who Jesus is and what he can possibly do. It's a bit sort of murky to some extent. So then Jesus responds to these immortal words that we've heard so many times at funerals. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Martha, do you believe this? Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe that you shall never die, Martha? This is what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is now taken to the graveside. And it's here where we are confronted with humanity's biggest fear and problem of life. It's here where we are confronted with death. 
They've already been through it probably a number of times before, but here it is in the story for us today. It's staring them right in the face. It's the dead body of Lazarus uh, now locked away in this tomb. Jesus is there now with all these people who are overcome with pain and with grief and the challenges that death brings. Death is a horrible, horrible, horrible thing. It's a terrible thing. It's a disaster. There's nothing pleasant about death at all. It, it really is the polar opposite to every thought that we have in our living minds and our living bodies. Nobody in their right mind wants to die. As we do, we go to hospitals and take all precautions and all things we can to sustain life and keep life. Nobody in their right mind wants to die. It's the polar opposite to the way we think. Death is the thing that comes and snuffs out every dream and desire that we have in life. If you're a parent with a child, you dream of watching them grow up and maturing and going through the various ages and stages of life. And maybe you might hope to see them one day going forward and maybe having children of their own and then you can enjoy those things with them as well. So you have these dreams and desires that you play out in your mind. And you might be someone who's got a career planned out and you plan out and you think about um, the dreams and desires of this career you're going to follow through and you actually go through this and you and uh, plan all these things out, and that's what life is. But then along comes this thing called sickness, and it strikes us, and we get some medical reports, or we get some scans come back, or we get something come back that says, hey, it's serious. It's really serious. And sometimes you'll get the news, it's terminal. And sometimes you'll be told, hey, only got weeks to live, only got months to live. And with that news of death being imminent, it's, it's like a bomb that goes off in your mind, but very silently. It just sort of breaks and shatters everything as this bomb explodes in your mind with that news. It's like every dream and desire to live life and enjoy life with my friends and my family growing older together becomes like this, this shattered, broken mirror in a thousand pieces lying on the floor. All those dreams and all those desires are just blown away. Every birthday party, every anniversary, every planned vacation, or even the simple things, like just walking around the lake and having a coffee somewhere, all those things, death comes along and it just wipes it all off the table. It's devastating. It's devastating. Death is a disaster. Just like they're grieving and they're mourning over Lazarus here. Quite simply, we die because death is God's justice towards our sinful rebellion towards him. We cannot escape those plain facts. That's just what death is. It's God's justice as we, re- as we reject him as our sovereign maker and our sovereign life giver and turn our backs upon him. So now we face his justice for that rebellion and death is what he decrees. But this is where we find Jesus with these people here with Lazarus at the grave. Jesus is seeing firsthand the devastating effects of death with all of its grief and pain with these people gathered in mourning. Jesus is taken to the gravesite, we're told here, and he's deeply moved. He's deeply moved by this scene. Verses 34 and 35, and he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. 
Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible, but it says a tremendous amount about Jesus. Two words reveal an incredible amount here about Jesus. It really does give us a picture of the humanity of Christ. He really is the God-man. He really is the one who can sympathise with us through all of our weaknesses and our frailties and all of what we will experience in life. He is truly the God-man, Jesus Christ. Experiencing here the pain and anguish that comes with death. His friend is dead in this uh, stone tomb. Now Jesus asks for the stone to be removed from the grave and Martha replies though with some concerns here about this. She says, or Jesus says, take away the stone in verse 39. But Martha says, the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odour for he has been dead four days. Now in Jewish thought, we've got to try and get a picture here of what they're thinking, why are they saying this four days thing. In Jewish thought, it's supposed that by day four, the soul of the body has well and truly departed from the body. Up until day four in the Jewish thought, that they, they believe, this is not biblical, this is just Jewish thought, they believe the soul was sort of somewhat still lingering around. There might be a chance something could happen. The soul might come back in and sort of you know, invigorate the body again and, and uh, off we go again. So in their mind now, particularly with Martha saying this, uh, Jesus, Lazarus is dead, dead. Actually, he's, he's, he's on the fourth day. The body's now in decay. He's dead, dead, Jesus. There's no point rolling the stone back now. It's all done and dusted. It's over. The soul has left the body. There is no chance of him coming back to life now, Jesus. Martha's reminded again that she needs to believe who Jesus is in this situation. So Jesus rolls back the stone. Asked, sorry, asked them to roll back the stone. And here's what Jesus does in verses 41 and 43. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. And I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. He prays shortly and quickly to um, his heavenly father. And then when he says these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus miraculously revives and walks out of the tomb. He hops off that stone table and he walks out of the tomb. Now just put yourself there for a moment. Just put yourself there. You or I are standing at a graveside funeral, which we've probably all been to plenty of times. People are weeping and they're grieving over the death of their loved one who's lying in that cold wooden coffin before us at a graveside funeral. It's not a very pleasant scene or a happy scene. But in a moment of silence, a man from the crowd prays to God at this graveside funeral. And then he calls for the dead person to come out. Put yourself there. And then you see the coffin lid rising as the person rises out of that coffin. It would be just sort of blow your mind stuff, wouldn't it? I know when my father died, which was about 30-something years ago, I mean, I still had thoughts in my mind as they were wheeling the casket out of the church that somehow dad would come back to life and this lid would rise up. But if it had to happen, I just think it would have been an amazing miracle, but it just would have blown everybody away to see that take place. Stunning. 
stunning. It would just take your breath away to see that take place. The stones roll away and this person comes out bandaged and they've all just seen him die just a few days earlier. Jesus truly is the Lord of life. As we think about this remarkable true account, this narrative here out of the Bible, this raising of Lazarus from the grave, what are we supposed to take away from this? What are we supposed to see here as we think about this and apply it to our hearts and minds today in 2017, perhaps 2,000 years later? Here's a few things that I come away with. First one, faith is a journey. Faith is a journey. Uh, These disciples are growing in their faith as they see more of Jesus. They really and truly are. Uh, This is what Martha's doing even here in the confusion of hearing what Jesus said that, hey, your brother won't die, but yet he does die like two hours after the messengers left to go give the message to Jesus. Martha's learning to grow in her faith through these confusing times. It's not always the way we might have it planned out uh, in what's happening. We are simply looking to trust in God and then grow in our faith. And we're no different. We're no different to Martha. With whatever circumstances are happening in our lives, which are often, very, for us, very confusing because we can't see the way forward. And the things that are happening are just not the things that we plan to happen. I'm sure when Martha was um, sending the message to Jesus, what Martha had in her mind was, yep, quick recovery and Lazarus is made whole. She wasn't planning a funeral. I can be sure of that. But the funeral took place. So it's important when we think about life and think about these challenging circumstances and we're growing in our faith, not to think that God's going to do it this, this, this and this way. Because sometimes it's just really confusing. But God is using all of those events to help grow us and to help us to trust in him. That's one thing I can see coming out of this. Second one, very big one, we never die. We never die. We won't die. That's what Jesus said. Verse 26, Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. If you are a believer in Jesus and following him with all your life, you will never die. Now we find that hard to understand. What do you mean by that, Jesus? God has so planned our lives that as a believer in Jesus Christ, death, which our body will die, But death itself is really and truly a transition. It's a transition. It's a transition from one state of being to another state of being. Death is a putting off of this body and all of its weaknesses and its frailties and breakdown and it's transitioning into immortality with Christ forever and forever. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and he says this uh, about putting off this earthly tent. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So Paul gets this picture really clearly for himself and he wants us to get that picture today as well and Jesus is wanting us to get that picture as well, that we won't die. We will transition. The physical body one day will stop and it will decay in the ground but my soul will transition in an instant in an instant to be in the presence of the Lord. My eyes will close in death and just like a blink when they open up again, I will be in the presence of God. I will not die. I will only transition from one state of being to another state of being. 
It's a glorious thing to think about. There is no death. Actually, there's no death for anybody. You'll either go to be in the presence of the Lord if you're a believer and follower of Christ, or you'll suffer the judgment and the wrath of God if you're not a believer in Christ. It goes from one state of being to another state of being. But here, for followers of Jesus, it is to be in the presence of the Lord. So what does that mean if we grasp that here, this thought of never dying? What does that do for us today? Firstly, it should take away the fear of death. It really should. It should take away the fear of death. Sure, there'll be some, uh, I guess, um, thoughts of how it'll be. I, I know most people would say, if I could just die in my sleep, that'd be really nice, Jesus. Just go to bed by night and die in my sleep, that'd be really good. Because sometimes we think, oh, I don't want this really painful death. Or, Who knows what it might be? But whatever it is going to be, God will give us the grace to go through that. We don't have to be fearful. We don't have to succumb to the fear of unknown and death because Jesus has told us that we will never die. That won't happen. In a sense, I think it's quite possible for us to have a longing for death. Now, don't hear me wrong or get me wrong here. Do I go out and do suicide or something to sort of bring it on? Not at all. But Paul said here he longed to be away from the body to be in the presence of the Lord. So there's a sense of anticipation with death that actually I will be with Jesus. Now, if you're not a follower of Christ, you will not understand that at all. But that's, there's a sense of anticipation when my life ends, I will be with Christ. So firstly, we don't have to fear death. Secondly, when we understand that we will never die and that the life of this body is only a temporary existence... And that at the death of this body, we will transition from one state of being to another state of being. It gives us the courage to enter into risk with our lives. Because that fear of death has been removed because of what Jesus has done. Because we know this life is only a blink of the eyelid, as it were, in comparison with eternity, we can risk all sorts of things for Jesus. We will never die. People can take on the risk of missions in really dangerous lands to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ because they will never die. Jesus said that's what will take place. People, if God should call us to a hostile place for the gospel, we can go there completely trusting Jesus with our life because he has our life in his hands. We can risk that. We can risk that. That doesn't mean we'll guarantee that we will come out of those countries alive. Not at all. That's not a complete guarantee. Hey, yep, you'll go to a dangerous land and then you'll come out alive and it's all going to be good. Listen to what Jesus said here in Luke about this. He's talking here to his uh, disciples in Luke chapter 21. You'll be delivered up uh, up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends and some of you they will put to death. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake But listen to this, but not a hair of your head will perish. That doesn't make sense, does it? Some of you they will put to death. But Jesus says, but not a hair of your head will perish. That sounds like upside down. In the natural, the statement really just doesn't make sense. When you think about it, some of you are put to death, but not a hair of your head will perish. When we grasp that Jesus is the Lord of life, as he demonstrates with Lazarus, we can have absolute confidence 
in entrusting our lives to Jesus. Total confidence. We can risk our lives, our most valued possession that anybody has is their life, in the most harrowing of places. Maybe even to North Korea, which is probably the hardest place on earth to go and be a missionary today. We can risk that if God should call us to do that and we can risk it with supreme confidence because Jesus is the Lord of life. He says we won't lose our lives. That will not make sense in this world. That will make no sense whatsoever. The world that we live in can only see that life that we live in now is all there is. This is it, whatever it might be, 60, 70, 80, 90 years. That's all there is. So with that reasoning of thinking this is all there is, you couldn't possibly go and risk anything in that sense because this is it. But this is where the gospel of Jesus Christ changes our whole perspective on everything. Jesus here is the Lord of life, enables us to risk because we lose nothing. Third one I pulled out of this. Jesus calls us ourselves from death to life just like he has with Lazarus in a slightly different way. This amazing miracle that happened in Lazarus' life, we will experience like him in a spiritual sense. Spiritual sense. Just like Lazarus has gone from death to life, so have we have gone from death to life if we are following Jesus. Ephesians tells us what we were prior to Jesus coming to us. He says in there, chapter 2, verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Very uh, bleak statement that Paul gives here, but he's painting the picture of who we are before uh, the Holy Spirit comes and awakens our hearts to the truth of Christ. He's dead, spiritually dead. And then in the, in the, in the spiritual sense, uh, we are totally dead to the ways of Jesus before he comes to us. There's no saving spiritual life in us at all is what Ephesians is telling us. There's no spiritual pulse. There's no spiritual sign of life. If we're at the hospital... They would wheel us down to the morgue and give us a certificate of spiritual death prior to Christ's coming. Paul can't get any clearer. We are dead, dead spiritually. But then Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, in pure grace, breathes new spiritual life into my dead soul. Breathes the life of God into me. And just like Lazarus, lying helpless in that stone grave, Jesus speaks and commands life into his dead body, just as it is for him, so too with us, as we lie there, stone cold, dead in our sins, Jesus, in a miracle of grace, breathes and creates new spiritual of life within us. So we too have experienced that same thing. Now you might say, oh, how do you experience that? What, 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 are you, what are you looking for? There'll be a sense of, at some particular time point in my life, actually I had no interest in Christ. I really had no interest in who he was and what he's done. I had no interest in the Bible. I had no interest really in coming to church. But now you have a new interest, a new desire. You have a newfound love. Actually, you love Jesus. You want to be with his people. This is this going from death to life. We've experienced the same thing in a spiritual sense. These are just some of the things here that speaks richly to us of the, of the resurrection of Lazarus, sorry, from the grave that Jesus has performed here for us. Jesus' death in our place and his resurrection for our life frees us and allows us now to gladly give our way our lives for his service. Gladly as we see him as the Lord of life. It's so easy for us in this world that we live in to play it safe. 
It really is. Oh, yep, for sure. Okay, let's, um, let's close in prayer and just thank God for his goodness and thank God that he is the Lord of life and that we can trust in him. Well, thank you. Thank you today that we can gather around your word. Thank you, Father, for the, the truth that is contained there. Thank you, Lord, that you are the Lord of life. Thank you, God, that you can call us to uh, risk and that all we can completely and totally entrust ourselves to you. Father, let that truth dawn upon our hearts and upon our lives now, I pray. And uh, Lord, we pray for your grace to continue to surround Neville and Karen at this time. God, thank you. Thank you that you never leave us, you never forsake us. Uh, Let that Lord do tremendous work in our hearts today and produce uh, lives of sacrifice and lives of risk and lives of joy in uh, following and serving you. Father, we uh, commit that to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.